Jennifer Stone with Cover to Cover. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadow out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. It's 2007. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? January the 2nd. 2007. I certainly didn't plan to live this long, great goddess. It's awesome. Awesome is one of those words that's supposed to be retired this year. You know, <laughs> There's a list of words we're sick of. I'm sick of challenge. Yes, everything is a challenge. Not a problem, not a headache, not a job, but a challenge, right? I just see, you know, these two guys... Uh, challenging each other with the gloves or something, you know, slapping them in the face. I don't know, challenge doesn't work for me. In any case, I figure it is time to review our notes. It's uh, always the, the beginning of the year, January, an entire month of Mondays, starting over again. I feel like Samuel Beckett, you know, at the bottom of one of those hills where he keeps pouring the sand, yes, Oh, yes. I'm trying to figure out uh, what we're doing here with language, with politics, you know. What is the use of it all? Language and politics, language and love, uh, the language of intimacy. Uh, I tried this week to not listen, to not listen to mass media. Some of it filtered through no matter what I did. I just kept hearing it. I think I heard the late Saddam Hussein um, mention manhood. I'm distinctly, yes, I'm, I'm convinced I heard it. Apparently, some, <laughs> someone said something uh, that he felt lowered the level, and he, he said, is that manhood or something like that, and... I've been thinking about that. Uh, it seems to me that it uh, not validates. That's another word I hate. I see somebody stamping with a rubber stamp. It seems to me that that confirms everything I've ever thought about uh, manhood. Yes, I think of little Jimmy Cagney going to his death. You remember the movie where uh, his friend, the priest, uh, Pat O'Brien, says to him, when you go to your death, you know, when you go to be executed, he says, uh, whine and scream and and uh, yell like a baby, you see, and then the, the young boys for whom you are a role model, you know, then they will see that uh, you're just a wimp and a, a, a zero, you see. And, of course, uh, James Cagney uh, 
is above any such nonsense, but um, he finally takes it to heart. He finally takes it to heart. And as he walks to his death, yes, he starts screaming and hollering, and he goes uh, infantile in front of everyone. And then all of the young boys, the dead-end kids, you know, they're all disillusioned, and they see that he wasn't the uh, ideal that they had thought he was, yes. Interesting, interesting. The stiff upper lip syndrome, we call this... uh, Fascinating. Saddam Hussein. Is that a definition of manhood? Uh, A definition of thugdom? God only knows. Uh, It seems to me that I, I reached the point, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe after about 50 years of study, I reached the point where I believed that manhood was made up of those qualities, uh, the capacity for love would be first, uh, first among them, uh, the capacity for love, and also a great deal of courage. Uh, I suppose it could be physical courage in the face of death, but that's only one of the, the very smallest, <laughs> the minor, yes. I think that courage in the face of life is a lot harder, at least it has been for me, uh, is it, Woody Allen says, yes, uh, <laughs> dying is easy, comedy is hard. Uh, living, uh, breathing, keeping your sense of humor, that's the rough stuff. Uh, anyway, it's all semantics, folks. Last night, I was watching C-SPAN over the weekend. There was uh, this wonderful author, Richard Dawkins. He's got a book out called The God Delusion. And I thought, boy, we've really come up with the semantics here Uh the God Delusion. Uh, he was speaking to uh, an audience at a woman's college in Lynchburg, Virginia. The audience had a sense of humor, and they said, after all, this is Lynchburg. You can't expect us to go along with your uh, program. Uh, he was delightful. Uh, even the guy um, who took him on said, well, what with your English accent and your erudition, you know, uh, I can hardly argue with you, but of course I disagree with you. And uh, uh, Richard Dawkins tried to explain to the man that it was a question of semantics. Uh, I don't know, I remember uh, in the old days when students would ask me if I believed in God, uh, I would struggle and struggle. Uh, I would say that I believed in metaphor and that God is the most... um, the most, it's the mega metaphor of uh, all time, historically speaking, yes. Uh, it's really an act of the imagination. Uh, the great French writer Voltaire told us that if there were no God, it would be necessary for man to create him. I've always thought that God was uh, a great act of the imagination, uh, beautiful fiction. Um, perhaps it's a psychological um Uh, What do we call that projection? God the Father, uh, even God the Mother. I I like that. That's my own personal projection. I like to think of some motherly spirit hovering over us. Sometimes when I see terrible catastrophes and death, I will mutter under my breath, you know, Mother, Mother, receive these children. Take these children back. Uh, I don't know whether I mean it or not. I do remember rolling over and over in a car once, 
and as I was crawling out or being lifted out, I heard myself or someone saying, Oh, God, oh, God, yes. No, um, this book, The God Delusion, is fascinating. It's uh, the work of a confirmed atheist. Uh, I've always had a little trouble with that word. It seems to me too definite. I don't think, uh, I can't think of atheism as a religion or a practice, but some people seem to think it is. Uh, I love this book, actually. I, I think I'm going to keep it this year. It's going to go up on my shelf next to um, a book called No Gods, No Masters, All the Women uh atheists, agnostics, and free thinkers. Uh, they had the right idea, but uh, every time feminism uh, ran afoul of Christianity, there was trouble. Uh, my ideal is Elizabeth Cady Stanton. She rewrote the Bible, uh, rejecting the patriarchal text. And um, at that point, the uh, well, Susan B. Anthony herself uh, split with her and said, no, 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 you can't do that, you know. Uh, um, it's just just going too far, it's asking too much. Uh, in any case, I was reading this section here, the case study on the roots of morality. That seemed to be the thing that um, that bothered the audience when they talked to this author the most. Uh, they kept uh, insisting that without religion there would be no morality, uh, you know, uh, he says that uh, sets of principles um, come from all sorts of moral systems. Uh, it's interesting the way he he uses all kinds of references to to get through to you. Let me read you a little bit about uh, the section called "The Mother of All Burkas." Now, this was. Uh, one that he chose to read to his C-SPAN audience, and uh, the, what is it, the symbolism of the burqa is so overwhelming, I always assume that everybody gets it. I remember once looking at pornography in Times Square, and uh, the uh, the women were being silenced, invisible, you know, their mouths were being uh, uh, sewn together, their uh, private parts the same, you know. Uh, the point, of course, is to to uh, to silence women, let them keep silent in church, you know, to uh, uh, block them out, to make them invisible. Uh, and uh, uh, Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion writes, One of the unhappiest spectacles to be seen on our streets today, he's speaking of London, is the image of a woman swathed in a shapeless black robe from head to toe, peering out at the world through a tiny slit. The burqa is not just an instrument of oppression of women and claustral repression of their liberty and their beauty. It's not just a token of egregious male cruelty and tragically cowed female submission. I want to use the narrow slit in the veil as a symbol of something else. And then he goes on to explain at great length, yes, he says, Our eyes see the world through a narrow slit in the electromagnetic spectrum. Visible light is a chink of brightness in the vast dark spectrum 
from radio waves at the long end to gamma rays at the short end. Quite how narrow is hard to appreciate and a challenge to convey. Imagine a gigantic black burqa with a vision slit of approximately the standard width, say about one inch. If the length of black cloth above the slit represents the short wave end of the invisible spectrum, and if the length of the black cloth below the slit represents the long wave portion of the invisible spectrum, how long would the burqa have to be in order to accommodate a one-inch slit to the same scale? It is hard to represent it sensibly without invoking uh, logarithmic scales. So huge are the links we are dealing with. The last chapter of this book, yes, he goes on to, uh, <laughs> yes, he goes on to, to, uh, explain that, um, yes, optical telescopes, the metaphor of the narrow window of light broadening out into a spectacularly wide spectrum serves us in other areas of science. We live near the center of a cavernous museum of magnitudes we view the world with sense organs and nervous systems that are equipped to perceive and understand only a small middle range of sizes moving at a middle range of speeds we are at home with objects ranging in size from a few kilometers the view from a mountaintop to about a tenth of a millimeter the point of a pin and he goes on to explain and to detail the limits of our perceptions uh, and how our imaginations are so forlornly under-equipped to cope with distances outside this narrow middle range of the ancestrally familiar. Uh, of course, what he's getting at, you know, is that uh, we haven't begun to see the possible uh, here he quotes the end of a famous essay on possible worlds. He quotes a great biologist, J.B.S. Haldane, right? He, he, Haldane writes, Now, my own suspicion is that the universe is not only queerer than we suppose, but queerer than we can suppose. I suspect that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of or can be dreamed of in any philosophy. <laughs> by the way, I'm intrigued by the suggestion that the famous Hamlet speech invoked by Haldane is conventionally misspoken. The normal stress is on your, that is, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Indeed, the line is often plonkingly quoted with the implication that Horatio stands for shallow rationalists and skeptics everywhere. But some scholars place the stress on philosophy, with the your almost vanishing. Yes. Ah, uh, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Now, that's the way to say it, meaning your study, your uh, the philosophy that he picked up in Wittenberg, you know, the one he and he and Hamlet were off there studying. The difference doesn't really matter for our purposes, except that the second interpretation uh, takes care of the any philosophy, yes, any philosophy. Uh, now, 
this book, this book talks about the strangeness of science, pushing it to the point of comedy. Uh, let's see. He writes, the fact that we live at the bottom of a deep gravity well on the surface of a gas-covered planet going around a nuclear fireball 90 million miles away and think this to be normal is obviously some indication of how skewed our perspective tends to be. Where other science fiction writers played on the oddness of science to arouse our sense of the mysterious, uh, the writer Douglas Adams used it to make us laugh. Yes, those who have read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy might think of the infinite improbability drive, for instance. Laughter is arguably the best response to some of the stranger paradoxes of modern physics. The alternative, I sometimes think, is to cry. <laughs> anyway, he goes on to describe what we call normal, yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, he was using this material to try to refute the uh, lovely students in the audience. It was a woman's college, and the women seemed to be uh, fairly sane. The young men were from a place called Liberty College, and they spoke about uh, fossils that were only 6,000 years old, and uh, he tried to explain things to them the best he could. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here he writes, uh, The great 20th century philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once asked a friend, Tell me, why do people always say it was natural for man to assume that the sun went round the earth rather than that the earth was rotating? His friend replied, well, obviously, because it just looks as though the sun is going round the earth. Wittgenstein responded, well, what would it have looked like if it had looked as though the earth was rotating. I sometimes quote this remark of Wittgensteinian lectures, expecting the audience to laugh. Instead, they seem stunned into silence. In the limited world in which our brains evolved, small objects are more likely to move than large ones, which are seen as the background to movement. And on and on he goes, uh, <laughs> The fact is, yes, our brains are themselves evolved organs. Now, this was his main point when he tried to argue with the creationists and the religious fundamentalists in his audience. Uh, oh, dear, he, he read to them, well, he talked to them about Carl Sagan's book, uh, The Demon-Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark, uh, not explaining science seems to me perverse. Okay, right. Uh, the difficulty, the difficulty, of course, I don't know. I have never been able to answer fundamentalists myself. I, I remember, even as a very young child, with a dear Catholic friend who pitied me because uh, I did not have faith. She seemed, well, she said, you either have faith or you don't have faith. And... I said, well, how, how could you acquire it? And she, she just laughed. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think this is where semantics and language uh, <laughs> crash. They just crash. Oh, comic relief, comic relief. This book is called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And I can see that I'm going to be digging into it 
uh, and at it for a long time because mm, it's so difficult. His um, epi- epigraph at the beginning uh, reads, Isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? It's interesting, uh, those of us who seem to think that nature is the name of God, uh, the name of, what is that, uh, cosmic existence, whatever you want to call it, uh, then we are told, well, then, of course, um, that we believe in God, the God hypothesis, uh, polytheism, monotheism, secularism, uh, the founding fathers. Of course, we know that our founding fathers were... Uh, not just there were not just atheists among them, but there were. Uh, let's see. I think Jefferson is classed as a deist. Um, then he writes about the poverty of agnosticism. I don't see it as poverty. I, I see it as a way out. Um, to declare yourself an atheist in this country is to what is it? Uh, alienate yourself. Uh, you can't be elected to public office. That's his main point. Um, well, it's quite true, obviously. Um, arguments for God's existence, Thomas Aquinas's proofs, the argument for beauty, the argument for personal experience, the argument for scripture, uh, the argument for admired religious scientists, uh, Pascal's Wagner. It seems to me that most of us, are, well, let me call us... Um, lazy liberals. I have always thought it is better to avoid the subject, uh, never to pin people down, uh, the notion being that comfort, uh, comfort is something that religion offers people. Uh, what Richard Dawkins insists is that we do not confuse uh, comfort with the truth, that there is obviously uh, a serious difference uh, he talks about the roots of religion, the Darwinian imperative. Um, religion is a byproduct of something else. That would be, of course, the ancient fears. Uh, I see religion as a byproduct of psychology. Uh, the titans, of course, are the parents, the uh, elements, the uh, nature and its uh, power over us. Uh, Psychologically being primed for religion, yes, the father figure, rule, authoritarianism, uh, group selections, our moral sense, does it have a Darwinian origin? Uh, if there is no God, why be good? The Old Testament, uh, is the New Testament any better? Love thy neighbor, the moral zeitgeist. Hitler and Stalin, weren't they atheists? Yes, fundamentalism and the subversion of science, the dark side of absolutism. Faith and homosexuality. Now, there he's got onto something, yes. Faith and the sanctity of human life. I guess what most of us were taught, at least I was taught by the sensible teachers that I had, the the go-along-to-get-along folks, was that since... Religious ideation was a world phenomenon and that probably we would never see the end of it, at least not in our lifetime or in many lifetimes, that we had better accommodate ourselves, um, try 
you know, try to accept it as a metaphor. Uh, you know, God is love, that sort of thing. Uh, the difficulty here, uh, in chapter 9, he has some wonderful stuff about uh, child abuse, uh, physical and mental abuse and uh, the sort of things that religion religion uh, what is that uh, <laughs> oh let's see not excuses no it doesn't excuse but religion is one of the vehicles for uh, human sadism human uh, culture human violence Anyway, um, yes, let me read you a little piece of, uh, of his preface here. I think he's got the, uh, yes, the word delusion. He says, the word delusion in my title has disquieted some psychiatrists who regard this as a technical term not to be bandied about. Three of them wrote to me to propose a special technical term for religious delusion. They wanted me to use the word relusion, R-E-L-U-S-I-O-N. Maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> but for now, I'm going to stick with delusion and I need to justify my use of it. The Penguin English Dictionary defines a delusion as, quote, a false belief or impression. Surprisingly, the illustrative quotation the dictionary gives us is from Philip E. Johnson, quote, Darwinism is the story of humanity's liberation from the delusion that its destiny is controlled by a power higher than itself. Can that be the same Philip E. Johnson who leads the creationist charge against Darwinism in America today? Indeed it is. And the quotation is, as we might guess, taken out of context. I hope the fact that I have stated as much will be noted, since the same courtesy has not been expended, extended to me in numerous creationist quotations of my works, which were deliberately and misleadingly taken out of context. Um, whatever Johnson's own meaning, his sentence as it stands is one I would be happy to endorse. The dictionary... Uh, supplied with Microsoft Word, defines a delusion as, quote, a persistent false belief held in the face of strong contradictory evidence, especially as a symptom of psychiatric disorder. The first part captures religious faith perfectly. As to whether it is a symptom of a psychiatric disorder, I'm inclined to follow... Um, the author of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, that's Robert M. Percy, P-I-R-S-I-G. Uh, he said, when one person suffers from a delusion, it is called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it is called religion. If this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. <laughs> What presumptuous optimism! Of course, dyed-in-the-wool faithheads are immune to argument. Their resistance, built up over years of childhood indoctrination using methods that took centuries to mature, whether by evolution or design. Among the most effective 
immunological devices is a dire warning to avoid even opening a book like this, which is surely a work of Satan. But I believe there are plenty of open-minded people out there, people whose childhood indoctrination was not too insidious, or for other reasons didn't take, or whose native intelligence is strong enough to overcome it. Such free spirits should need only a little encouragement to break free of the vice of religion altogether. At the very least, I hope that nobody who reads this book will be able to say, I didn't know I could. That's what Elizabeth Cady Stanton said. She said that her whole childhood was a nightmare. She said it was due to her strong constitution and native intelligence that she was able to recover from her Christian indoctrination. This has been Jennifer Stone. The book I've been reading is The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Oh, God, the mega metaphor. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light, light em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of Youth Radio on KPFA FM. Check us out every Saturday for the best in youth culture, music, and news. Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Bringing you community programming and always telling it like it is. 